Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you all here today. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at eFree. Welcome to everybody here in the auditorium, and welcome everybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. Um, Before we get going, I want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of the staff and our families for the love gift that you generously gave. Um, So we received that this week, and it meant a ton to our families. We were honored, and we were humbled by your generosity. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy towards us and towards our families. We're very thankful for that. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, But we are starting, or we're continuing the series called God's Name, and we are going to be talking today about how our God is a compassionate God, that we have a compassionate God. And as we begin, I want to tell you about a time that I lacked compassion. So before I worked here at the church, I worked at a distribution center here in Kearney. And there was a number of different jobs you would do in that distribution center. As I started, there was a guy that was training me on how to do the different jobs. And he wasn't the hardest worker in the building, but he worked hard and he was willing to do all the different jobs. Well, probably seven, eight months into working there, something happened with this guy, and all of a sudden, he wouldn't do the most difficult jobs. The jobs that required heavy lifting, the jobs that were more taxing, he would avoid those jobs, and he would do the easier jobs, which means those of us that were doing the harder jobs had to do them more often and more frequently, and there wasn't an even distribution in the distribution center. So pun intended. And so we were frustrated about this. And what we could have done is I could have had compassion for this guy, and I could have went to him and said, hey man, what's going on? When I started here just a month ago, you were doing all these jobs, and now all of a sudden it feels like you're avoiding these most difficult jobs. Why is that? And maybe I would have heard that he hurt his back, and he was like, I can't do those jobs right now because it's going to make my back worse, and I'm not going to get better, and so I really just need to avoid them for right now. And that would have been understandable. Or maybe he would have said, I have a family member that is really sick. And so I'm just really, like, it's just hard to get out of bed right now and come to work. And that would have been understandable. Or maybe he would have said, I had a family member died, or he was in the military, so maybe he had a, a fellow service member that had died that he knew that he was just, like, depressed. And I could have entered into that with some compassion and go, oh, I understand what's going on. I'm, I'm sorry that you're going through this. I wish that's what I would have done, but unfortunately what I did is I I joined some of the others in my group. We kind of drew this imaginary circle around our group and said, we work hard and you don't work hard and so we're gonna push you out. So we're gonna avoid you when we see you in the distribution center. I'm gonna try to not make eye contact with you. I'm going to talk to you as little as I possibly can because I'm cutting you out because you won't work as hard as I'm working. And so instead of showing him compassion, I was just like, we're done with you. And I wish that I would have shown him compassion because I don't know what his story was. But I'm sure that there's a reason why he was doing what he was doing and I missed out on the opportunity to show God's compassion through me in that moment. But the good news is that God is compassionate and he's much more compassionate than we are. If you were here last week, you heard Adrian's message, which was phenomenal. It was talking about how God... So often, we try to make him in our image. Instead of us approaching God and saying, God, we want to know you, which is what Moses does, God says, Moses says to God, God, I want to know you. Would you show yourself to me? Would you teach me who you are? Instead, we just say, well, we know God, and we begin to craft him in our image. 
which means that God is as compassionate as we are. And he's also compassionate to the people that we're compassionate to. Or God is as merciful as we are, and he's only merciful to the people that we're merciful to. Or God is only as just as we are, and he's only just to the people that we're just to. And so when we do this, God gets crafted into much less than he really is. That we don't see God for who he truly is, and what he really is like, we see him through the version of ourselves. And so today we're going to dig into this view of God's compassion, because God's compassion is so much greater than our own. And we don't want God's compassion to just be equal to our own. We want it to surpass it. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into this. Father God, I thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your compassion and your kindness to us. God, would you help us to experience your compassion through your words this morning, God, that we want to see in your word your compassion. We want that to change our hearts, that we have a a tangible experience as we realize what you've done for us, that that might open our hearts to be more compassionate to others. Would you grow us here this morning, God? Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, so right out of the gate, I want you to know that our God is compassionate. Our God is compassionate. If you would turn with me to Exodus 34, verse five and six, we're gonna look at this moment where Moses, he goes to God and he says, God, I know a little bit about who you are, but I wanna know you more. I wanna experience more of you. Would you help me to know who you are more, God, please? And then God passes in front of him and reveals more of his character, more of who he is to Moses. So in Exodus 34, verses five and six, it says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. So Yahweh, Yahweh, we talked about last week. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That he passes by Moses and he says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, I'm compassionate, I am gracious, I am slow to anger, I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. So this morning we're just gonna focus on this idea of compassionate, that God is compassionate. So compassion, we're gonna say this morning, is to enter sympathetically into one's sorrow and pain. It's to enter into their sorrow and into into their pain. So I've heard it said that when you have a friend who is in sorrow or pain, whether they've lost a loved one or they're going through a health crisis or they have something that's going on that's difficult in their life and they're in pain, when you sit down with them and you listen to them, what happens is they start to feel better and you start to feel worse. That they begin to tell you about how life is tough and you begin to think, you know, it would have been easier if I had just avoided this person. But as you listen to them, you begin to feel more of the weight of what they're going through and they're feeling lighter because of it. You're entering sympathetically into their pain and you're caring and you're showing them compassion in that moment. So the word that we translate compassion is a Hebrew word and it is rakum. Rakum is to be compassionate or full of compassion, which is crucial because God doesn't just have the ability to be compassionate. God himself is full of compassion. It's who he is He doesn't just have the ability to be compassionate, he is compassionate. It's what what naturally occurs in him. So when he comes across someone who is in pain, someone who's suffering, he naturally wants to go out to them and carry some of the weight of that burden. 
So in Psalm 86, verse 15, it'll be up here on the screen, but what you need to know is that these verses in Exodus, they're foundational to the nation of Israel. They're gonna come back again and again to this moment where God's character is revealed. And they're gonna say, this is who our God is. So in Psalm 86, 15, it says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That he's writing about God's character and he comes back to this moment when God reveals himself, his character to Moses. And he says, you are a God that is compassionate. You are gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He goes back to what God says about himself. He says, this is who you are. This is what we've experienced. This is what we believe to be true about you. Then in Joel chapter two, verse 13, Joel is a prophet. And Joel was sent by God to deliver a message to the people in southern Israel. So they've been divided at this time, and so it's the people of Judah. And he has this message delivered to them. And he says to them, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And so the message that Joel brings is that our God is gracious, our God is compassionate. And so if we are broken, if we would tear our hearts, so in this time period, when you tear your clothing, it was a sign of grieving. So instead of just tearing our clothing, if we would tear our hearts, then God would be compassionate to us. If we would be broken over our sin and say, God, I agree with you, what we're doing here is wrong. Would you rescue us, would you help us? He says God would be compassionate to us and he would relent from sending calamity because what had happened is that Joel in the beginning was saying God is going to send destruction against Israel because you guys have been so divided in your loyalty to God, so divided in your love for God. And Joel was saying if you are united, if we have this single-minded devotion to God, God is gonna show us compassion, not destruction. And so God is compassionate. It's who he is. Now this is greater than what we do, greater than our compassion, because our compassion is oftentimes very limited. And we would say to ourselves, we're compassionate because we're compassionate to a group of people. But what happens is we take and we draw a circle and we say, I could be compassionate to the people inside this circle, but the people outside that circle, I'm not going to be compassionate to them. And we feel justified in not being compassionate to them, but we would say, I'm compassionate because I'm compassionate to this group of people inside my circle. So let me give you an example. So I am a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. I like the Cornhuskers. So I cheer for their different sports. But what this does to me is it means that there are sports teams that I don't cheer for. Not only do I not cheer for them, I enjoy when they lose. There are certain teams that if I see on the score track or on the bottom that they're losing, I will turn to that channel to watch them lose. And I will say to myself, show me their fans. Like, I wanna see their tears. Like, I wanna see them being sad. Because they win too much. And I wanna see when they're sad, because it doesn't happen enough. And I would say to myself, well, I'm a compassionate person. And if you look at me, if you look at that moment, you go, Jordan, why are you like reveling in their sorrow on the TV? Like, you don't seem very compassionate in this moment. Well, the reason is because I drew a circle and I said, if you're a Nebraska fan, and you're suffering, I will be compassionate towards you. But if you're a different fan group that I'm not gonna mention in case you're a fan of that group, I don't want you to think that I wouldn't be compassionate towards you. 
But if you're a fan of, the, if you're a fan of that group and you're suffering on TV because your team is losing, I'm going to be less compassionate because that's how my compassion works. But that's not how God's compassion works. God's compassion goes out to everybody. God says, whoever will come, whoever will come to me and say, God, would you help me? God goes to them. God doesn't draw a circle and say, I'll be compassionate to you, but not to you. God instead says, if you would be willing to trust and believe me, I'll show you my compassion. And even those people that don't, he shows them compassion. So now we're going to shift. We're going to talk about how our God is compassionate to us. Our God is compassionate to us. That it's not just a thing that God is compassionate in general, but he's compassionate specifically to us as individuals, to us as people, to our families. God shows us compassion. And there's no greater place that we see that than in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is in heaven. He is perfectly content in the sense of he has everything that he needs. That he has Father, he has the Holy Spirit, they're in this relationship that is great, everything is awesome, he's not going, I need to come to earth because there's something that I lack. But he looks down on earth and he sees us in pain, he sees us in suffering, he sees the destruction that we have brought on ourselves, brought on ourselves through our rebellion against God and he says, I am discontent to leave them in that state. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna enter into their sorrow, enter into their pain because I love them. So God's compassion, it extends to us. So now we're gonna jump forward in the Bible to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them to Luke. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you get to Matthew, Mark, go to the right, you will find Luke. If you get to John, Acts, Romans, you're too far to the right, go to the left, and you will find Luke. And so when Jesus comes... He begins to teach us what God is like, begins to reveal to us who God is. And he's the perfect revelation. As God passes by Moses, Moses gets a glimpse, but Jesus is the perfect revelation of what God is like. And so he's gonna tell this parable, and the parable is a story. And my guess is most, if not all of you, have heard this parable before. But I hope that instead of going, oh, I've heard this before, and like think about something else, you would stay engaged with me because I think there's some really important things that you may have forgotten or you may have missed when it comes to God's compassion. So in Luke 10, 25, Jesus is teaching a crowd. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So there's a guy who's an expert in the law. What that means is that he has dedicated his life to studying the first five books of our Bible, so in that time, it's just the Torah, but it's the first five books of the Bible, and he's dedicated his life to studying it. He's memorized them. He's studied them. He's an expert. And so he hears Jesus teaching, and he says to himself, I, don't know if this, I wonder if this guy knows his stuff. So he stands up. says, hey, question over here. Hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do? Verse 26, Jesus is an incredible teacher. Instead of just giving him an answer, he asks him a question. It says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he says, hey, you're an expert in the law. You tell me, what does it say, and then what does it mean? How do you interpret it? Verse 27, the expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. 
So don't miss this. This guy gives a phenomenal answer. His answer is so good that this is the exact same answer Jesus is going to give when he gets asked a similar question in another gospel. When they want to know, how do you sum up all of the law and the prophets, Jesus stands up and he says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then go and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the answer that this guy's given. So his answer is correct. Jesus acknowledges, he says, your answer's right. You're totally, it's totally correct. When you, you sum up the law, you sum up the prophets, it calls us to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. What that means is to love God with all of ourselves. And then he says, go and love your neighbor as yourself. So then Jesus says to him, you answer correctly, do this and you will live. And this is where it gets more difficult because knowing what's right and doing what's right are two different things. So this guy knows what's right, but now the question is, can you do what's right? Verse 29, but he, being the expert in the law, wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So there's this expert in the law, and he wants to justify. And when he, what that means is he wants to say, the circle that I drew around the people that I can say, these are my neighbors, and those people are not my neighbors, he says, I want you to agree with my circle. I want you to agree with where I put the boundary markers, that these are the people that I should be kind to, compassionate to, neighborly to, and those other people, I should be able to treat them however I want because they're not my neighbor. This is what he wants Jesus to agree with him on. That's why he wants to justify himself. But Jesus, again, doesn't answer the question. Instead, he tells him a story. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this guy is traveling down this road from Jerusalem to get to Jericho, and as he's traveling around, these robbers, they attack him. They beat him up, so he's half to de- they beat him half to death, and then they leave him naked and bloodied and bruised on the side of the road. So when they take his clothes, they take his identifying markers. They don't, like, we're not told this guy is a priest or this guy is a Levite or he's an Israelite or what people group he's from. We're not told him those things, but you could tell by his clothing. But now he doesn't have any clothes. He's just a human being on the side of the road who needs help. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. No, a priest is the highest ranking religious leader in the Jewish religious system. So in the Jewish mindset, this guy is as close to God as humans can get. That he is the most holy of all of the people. And when he gets there, he sees this guy and he passes by on the other side. Now we're not told why. We're not told if he was in a hurry. We're not told if he thought this was a trap. We're not told if there's some reason he doesn't feel like this guy should get help. We're not told why, we're just told he passes by. But you have to wonder if the guy on the side of the road was wearing priest robes, would he have stopped? Because he would have said, this guy's inside my circle. I need to help him, I need to show him compassion. Or would he still have passed by on the other side of the road? Verse 32, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So now a Levite is from the tribe of Levi, and they are with the tribe that the priests get taken from. And so he still helps around the temple. He's just not a priest. And so he's close to God. And so the audience would hear him as someone who's close to what God desires, what God's after, who God um, would reveal himself through people. 
And he sees this guy in need and he passes by on their side. Again, there's no reason why. But again, we have to wonder, if he was dressed like an Israelite, would he have stopped to help a fellow Israelite? Because this person would have been inside his circle. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now you need to know that the Samaritans were the people group on planet earth that the Israelites despised the most. They could not stand the Samaritans. The Samaritans were this group of people that had been formed by Israelites breaking, by breaking the law and intermarrying with other people groups that God had said, you shall not marry them, you should not um, have families with them. And so when the Israelites saw them, they despised them, they could not stand them. And so when he says the word Samaritan, my guess is his audience begins to clench their fists. Their blood pressure begins to rise. They maybe begin to clench their jaws. They begin to think about how much they can't stand the Samaritans. How dare this guy say the word Samaritan in front of me? And then he says, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this Samaritan is traveling down the road and he sees this guy in need. And I don't know if he was leading his donkey or he was riding the donkey, but he goes to him and he helps him. And he begins to clean his wounds and stop the blood flow. And to do that, he probably had to tear his own clothing. He probably doesn't have extra cloth. And so he is using either his one pair of extra, uh, his one um, extra pair of clothing, or he's using the clothing that he's wearing to bind up this guy's wounds. Then he uses his own oil, his own wine to treat the wounds. Then he puts the man on his own donkey So either he was riding before and now he has to walk or he is carrying something now that the donkey was carrying before so that it can carry this guy. And he leads the donkey and the man to an inn where then he redresses his wounds, he cares for him, and then he takes out two days worth of wages, gives it to the owner of the inn and says, hey, I want you to take care of him for me. And if this doesn't cover what I owe, what he owes, then I'll come back and I'll pay more, I'll pay the rest. This is an incredible act of compassion. He's gone way above and beyond what might have been expected. So we get to verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus gets to the end of the story and he says, hey, Which one of these people, which one of them, was it the priest, was it the Levite, or was it the Samaritan that showed this man mercy? Who was it? Who was it that showed him compassion? And the expert in the law says, the one who had mercy on him. Now I think he says the one who had mercy on him because he refuses to say the word Samaritan. Because it'd be a lot easier to say the Samaritan. Well, there's the priest, there's the Levite, there's the Samaritan. It'd be a lot easier to say, the Samaritan, but he can't stand to say the Samaritan because he hates this people group. He despises this people group. And so he just says the one who had mercy on him. And he may have said it through a clenched jaw. And then Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. 
Go and do likewise. And this is where he's exposed this man's heart, and this is where he exposes our hearts. Because the reality is, we don't want to go and be a neighbor to whoever comes across our path. We want to go and be a neighbor to who the people are inside our circle. Like if we go back for a, a second to the sports idea, if I'm driving down the road and I see someone that has Husker st- stickers all over their car and it's stuck on the side of the road, I am much more likely to pull over and help them. But if I'm driving and I see this sports team that I'm not a big fan of and they have stickers all over, their thing, all over their car and I see them stuck, it's more likely for me to say, the Lord just judges justly and just keep driving. Because that group is not inside my circle. And I don't want to say, who can I be a neighbor to today? I want to say, I just want to be the neighbor to the people that I want to be a neighbor to. To the people that it comes natural, natural for me to love or to care for, or to be kind to them, instead of whoever would come across my path. Because that's the problem, is that this guy, he's going, well, I've done it all, Jesus, I've done it all. And then Jesus is going, wait, what about those Samaritans over there? You don't like those Samaritans at all. They're your neighbor, wouldn't you go be a neighbor to them? Well, I hate them. And so what Jesus does is he exposes our hearts and he says there are people in your life that you don't want to be a neighbor to. There are people in your life that you don't want to be compassionate towards or generous to or kind to that you want to draw a circle around and you want to say, I will love these people and I will not love them and that better be okay with you, God. And Jesus is saying that's not okay. And so what this man should say next, after Jesus told him, go and do likewise, he should say, I need your help. I need you to change my heart. Because if you ask me to go do this on my own, I can't do it because I don't like those people and I need you to change my heart so I have compassion towards them. Because you clearly have compassion for them, Jesus. So would you help me to have compassion for them too? The reality is that there is no better good Samaritan than Jesus Christ. That he is the greatest of all the good Samaritans there ever been. That he was in heaven. He wasn't just passing by. He was way out of his way and he looked down and he saw us bloodied and bruised on the side of the road and he said, I'm going to enter into their sorrow. I'm going to enter into their pain. I'm going to show them compassion. And then he came down to earth and he didn't just come down to give us a ride. He didn't just come down to, you know, cover up some cuts, he came down to bleed and to die and to suffer with us. That he put on the human form so he would understand what it's like, that he, knew, he knows what it's like to be sick, he knows what it's like to be tired, he knows what it's like to be exhausted, he knows what it's like to feel all the things that you feel, he knows. But he didn't stop there, he went to the cross where he was tortured and he bled and he died in our place to pay the debt that we owed. It wasn't a couple of days wages, it was his life poured out on the cross. And he paid that for us. Like this is what he's done for us. This is the compassion that he's shown to us that there aren't bounds to it. There's not lines he's drawn around it. He just says, whoever would come to me, whoever would seek compassion from me, I will show it to you. And so God has shown compassion to us. And so the question becomes, what does compassion and obedience look like for me? What does compassionate obedience look like for me? 
What does it look like for me to be compassionately obedient, to look around my world and to say, who can I be compassionate to? Instead of saying, who's in my circle that I can care for? Instead saying, God, who are you bringing across my path? Because what Jesus wants this guy to say is, who can I be a neighbor to today? Instead of who should be my neighbor, who is it that I'm supposed to be kind to? The question should be, who can I be kind to? Who is in my path? And so as we wrap up today, I want to talk about how can you show compassion to that person in your workplace that other people avoid or blame. And when I say workplace, it doesn't necessarily mean a place you get paid to be. Though for most of us, that's probably what it's going to be. But you may be a stay-at-home mom, and that's your workplace. Or you may be retired, and that's your workplace. Or you may be a student, and that's your workplace. But how can you show compassion to the people in that place that other people avoid or blame? Like, I shared the story in the beginning about me doing that because I understand. Like, I understand it's difficult. But as I look back, I regret that I didn't go to him because this guy was hurting in some way, shape, or form. And I could have been a conduit of God's love for this guy. And instead, I pushed him outside of my circle and then I justified my behavior of how I acted towards him. And I don't want us to miss out on the opportunity God is placing in our lives to show compassion to people God is bringing across our path. And so maybe you're, a, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you attend a mom's group and there is another mom in that group that you go, like, I just wish she didn't come. Like this group would be a lot better if she wasn't here. Or maybe it's not the mom, it's her kid. And you're just like, ah, I love her, but he, him not so much. Like he's a fixer-upper and she's working on him. And the reality is all of our kids are fixer-uppers. But... But maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I wish you would, you would not be in our circle anymore. I wish you would not be part of this group. And God's put her there so that you could love and care for her. You could show her compassion. You could enter into her trial, enter into her difficulty, and carry that a little bit. And what would it be like for her? Because she probably doesn't get invited over to many other moms' homes because her child is difficult. What would it be like if you invited her into your home? What might she say as she says, this is the first time anyone's invited us over in a really long time. That it means a lot to have someone invite me into their home. Thank you. But maybe you're a student. And as I talk about people that are being pushed out, you know what that's like. Or maybe you know a kid in your class what that's like. And you know what, every time the teacher says, hey, find a partner, there's always that one kid that never has a partner. And so he always gets added on to someone else's group. Can you imagine what that's like? To all of us struggle with, do I have value, do I have worth? Do people like me or not? But to day after day, have tangible evidence that no one wants to be my friend. Like how much that hurts to always be the person that no one wants to be a partner with. And it takes a teacher to say, okay, you can join that group or this group. What would it be like if you showed them compassion and you entered into their situation and you went to them first and said, hey, would you be my partner? And it's gonna, mean, it's gonna cost you something. Like all this costs us something, but it cost Jesus something when he came for us. And so that cost, it's worth paying to be able to show people compassion because it helps us experience in a small way the massive cost that Jesus paid. Maybe you're retired though and maybe there's someone in your retirement group that maybe you have a hobby group or something you're just like, man, I wish they didn't come to this. Or you always try to get at a different table than them. 
And what if instead you went and sat down next to them and you began to just ask them questions of like, what's your life been like? Where were you here before this? What, what's happened in your life? And as you begin to hear their story, you begin to realize, man, if all that stuff happened to me, I'd be bitter too. If all those things happened to me, I would have a pessimistic attitude too. And you begin to pray and say, God, would you change my heart towards this person because I want to show them the heart you have towards them. Or maybe you're an employee and you're like me and you have a coworker that something changed with them and everybody else in the workplace just wants to push them out and just wants to ignore them and hope that they'll go away. And what if instead you went to them? I'm not saying we shouldn't hold people accountable, but instead, but what I am saying is what if we showed them compassion as we hold them compassion? Accountable. Because what if I went to that guy and I said, hey man, what's going on? You're not doing your fair share, but you were a while ago. What's happening? Maybe I would have found out that he had injured his back and that would have made sense of why what was happening was happening instead of just trying to push him out. And the last thing, it's Life Group Sunday. So maybe God's been knocking on your heart and he's been saying that circle is your life group and there's someone that's in there that you wish was on the outside. And you act like they're not in, the, in your life group because you just really don't want them to be in your life group. And secretly, your prayer request is that this person would leave. What if God, had put, God has placed them in your life group because he wants to shape and mold you through them being there? What if he wants to expand your understanding of who your neighbor is? What if he wants you to drop that circle and just say, I want to be a neighbor to whoever God brings across my path. What if you get to know them a little bit more and try to understand why they are the way that they are? Because at the end of the day, God says, the question is not, who is my neighbor? Because the answer is everyone, but really the question is, who can I be a neighbor to today? Because I can't change the world for everybody, but I can change the world for one person today. I can make a difference in the world for one person. So God, who have you placed me on this earth, on this day, to make a difference in their world? No matter what sports team they cheer for. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your compassion. God, I make jokes about sports teams, but the reality is this is what we do. God, we make circles based on different values we have. And so when someone disagrees with the value that we have and we disagree with the value they have, we'd make these circles and we try to act like I shouldn't be compassionate to you and I don't expect you to be compassionate to me, but the reality is, God, you've called us to be compassionate to all people. No matter what their values are, no matter what they say or do, God, you call us to be compassionate. So God, would you help us to be these kind of people? God, we thank you that you're this kind of God. God, the reality is, if you were not this kind of God, then you would never be compassionate to me. And if you were not this kind of God, you would not be compassionate to us because we were not deserving of your compassion. That we would most definitely be outside that circle of people that you should show compassion to. But God, you are a God that doesn't have circles. And so we can say with grateful hearts, God, thank you that you were willing to show compassion to a wretch like me. God, thank you that you're willing to show compassion to a sinner like me. And God, would you help us to go and show compassion to people like us and to people that are different than us. 
But at the end of the day, God, we all need compassion. And you were gracious and kind to show compassion to us. And you were also gracious and kind to put people in our lives that is difficult for us to show compassion to them. As we show them compassion, it grows us. It transforms us. It changes us into more like your son, Jesus. And that's what the world needs is more people who look like Jesus and less people that look just like me. So God, would you help us to be more compassionate people? Would you help us to get a bigger picture of who you are that we don't want to shape you to look like us when it comes to compassion, but God, we want to be shaped to look like you. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. We pray this all in his name.